You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. All right, all right, all right. It is my first time to be with our live worship with all of you. And um, just we're going to be wise in how we do this. You know, we're still asking all of us when we're present here at the church to wear things like masks unless you're uh, preaching. You need to see my mouth, like, but uh, as we're sitting here together, we're still going to do those things. Even if the city is saying you can go mask-free, we're going to do our best to honor one another and our neighbors. Um, so we're trying to be as safe as possible, but uh, man, it was like a spiritual moment earlier when I, when I heard people greeting one another. Because you just take for granted some of the joys of what it means to worship together, that sound of just background noise of people saying hi and greeting. And it's like spiritual. It's spiritual and in one sense reminds us what we do when we're talking about human. We're living out. Of course, we come here to sing these wonderful songs full of truth and hear sermons. Sometimes you feel they're full of truth, maybe not, whatever. But, we, but that's also worship. That's also spiritual, being with one another, reminding one another that our lives matter. And, you know, part of that is also the rhythms of just life. And some of you who walked in a little bit after we began, you might have missed it. But early on, we have our communion table set up and one of the babies just walked up here and they're quick, right? You know, I I would start signing up, get them trained for like 100 meters one day because they're quick. They get off those starter blocks and just ran up to try to grab some of the elements. I don't, I, and I want to be mindful of not to be weird here, but I felt the pleasure of the Father, the Heavenly Father. You would think about Father's Day, and for, for a lot of us, that's a mixed bag, what that means. For some of us, it's, it's joy. For some of us, it's sadness, maybe a kind of longing for what you would have hoped Whatever it might be there, one of the things all of our earthly relationships, and we're going to talk more about that today, but all of our earthly relationships in one sense point to uh, the perfect relationship with God. And as I saw that, that little guy come up and try to grab the elements, I felt the Father, the Heavenly Father's pleasure. I was like, that's it right there. That's when I say be like a child. That's what I want. That you don't give a rip about what else is going on. You just want everyone else to the table. Grab it because it looks good. It looks fun. It looks curious. And maybe even for a lot of us when we think about God. Think about God as a rigid. Because that's just what fatherhood means for us. But perhaps the realigning of relationships in our church is that we can another to see. When we think about a heavenly father, he's not shaking his head at you. Why can't you get your act together? Why are you so screwed up? Why can't you ever measure up? Why are you always making mistakes? Rather, he's got this big smile. Full of joy. Looking at little ones who are trying to figure it out when it's so hard. But just wanting to know him. I just want to encourage you, help one another to reclaim what it means to be a child of God. So that's not even my sermon for today, but I was just, I had like moments with the Lord. Just let me pray for us uh, as we do engage with 
the Lord as he would want to meet us here. Lord, we thank you for days like this that we can remember uh, dates on the calendar that have been made by human beings, but that can also point us to you. And we acknowledge for some of us there is a mixed sense of emotions and help us to not just deny or cope or ignore, but Lord, allow it to draw us to you, the invitation of what it looks like to have a heavenly father who loves his children, who's not shaking his head in disappointment, but is so enthralled with his creation, his children. Help us, Lord, to grow into what that family looks like, even in a shadowed version on this side of glory. Thank you for this church. I thank you for every single person. I don't know what has brought them here, but we thank you that you, God, who and you wanted us here, even if we are not exactly fully sure why. So we open up our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, speak to us as we need to hear from you. So we thank you for this time and this church. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, for me, one of the things I love to do out of many things in life is I love uh, walking with people and trying to help people become more self-aware, just more aware of who they are, what are some of the things that make us tick, and a lot of that's even digging back into our history and finding out what are some of the things that allow us to express ourselves the way today, even how other people see us, that they might not know all that. And so I find a delight in that because partly it's because it's been a significant part of my own journey to grow in self awareness um, it's been critical for me to experience what does it mean to live in wholeness in every way of my life, um, including as a spiritual being. That's our desire to grow up to be whole people. And part of the recognition of that, that journey of wholeness, of, of knowing myself, knowing ourselves, it has to involve other people. Like, knowing yourself well, being aware of who you are, it's not just about greater self-awareness, but it always involves those outside of yourself, obviously including God, um, but also, I would suggest, just as much other people. Others are significant for our wholeness, and that's what we've kind of been digging into these past two weeks as we've been starting this series called Being Human. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the idea that our lives, as sometimes... um, not fully perfect as they might seem, they're still a portrait to the world, to other people of who God is. Like God uses the portrait of your life. And last week we looked at how other people are involved in life because we're created to serve. We're created to give our lives. Life does not revolve around us. We're not the epicenter, but we are here to honor God, but also horizontally serve one another. And in that is the path to greater wholeness as we encounter the Christ. And in a way, it's tied to our larger vision of a church where the village, we exist to lead people into reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another. Simply, we exist is for relationships. We want to learn how were we created to do relationships in an unfallen, unbroken world. And now, because of Jesus... We're, we're living some of that out here together. It's all about relationship. Because the thing, I think, one of the things that really differentiates the Christian faith from other religious systems in the world is this focus on relationships. Like, it doesn't mean that the Christian faith is not about doctrinal belief. It is, very much so. Um, or it's not just about, here's some moral instruction. 
instruction on how to be a better person, I mean, it definitely involves that. Um, those are really important. They're helpful, but I would suggest the purpose of those things is in how to grow us to better do relationship with God, but also with one another, to, in a sense, be human. Because um, let's be real here. Let's pull back the curtain a bit. If it's just about um, transferring and learning particular theological truths, uh, maybe some spiritual principles, I mean, the pandemic, especially if you believe like in the providence of God, you could say, whoa! It opened up like a whole new way for us to propel the mission of God forward. Like, there was like a whole new way to be able to do that. I mean, the power of virtual, and even some of, some of our friends who are watching this live from all over the world, literally, I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing, because in, in a sense, they can partake in the things we're looking at here. Like, they're able to hear the sermon, and they're able to, in a sense, be part of the community. Wow! You know, that's, that's unbelievable, um, at the same time, there was something missing, wasn't there? I mean, it's kind of cool in the beginning. I'll be honest. I'm like, yo, you mean I can sit at home on Sunday in my jammies with my food and I can like watch myself preach? That's, that's, wow. That's like quantum kind of stuff, right? I'm, I'm dating myself when I say that. That's like unbelievable. But we started to see some of the limits of that, right? That that's not really what church is. Church is not just about getting more information. Church is not even just about kind of acquiring some of these theological... Again, really important. That's all, it's all critical. But it's, something was missing. Maybe something was even a little off because we're created for a relationship. But what we found through things like pandemic, we started growing fearful of other people. Instead of loving others, we start looking at one another with suspicion. Whether it's ideologies, whether it's, does your mask or non-mask mean something right now? I'm looking at you in the Costco meat aisle, and I'm trying to determine whether your lack of a mask, yeah, whatever. Like, we've just gotten suspicious of people. We've, in a sense, lost how to do relationship. We always think someone's got, like, a, a, a gig, right? Someone's trying to get one over on us. And I think when it comes to the church, what this whole year and a half, it, what it allowed us to experience was that the Christian faith, it's not merely about the information that we acquire, but it's also the people that we journey with. The Christian faith, in many, and those doctrinal things, don't send hate mail saying hate orthodoxy here. No, we, we love those things. It's important. But it's also about the people that you're walking with together. Because embodied this in his ministry. Look at one of his closest words John wrote in one of his letters in 1 John chapter 1, right at the beginning, the intro. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What John doesn't write is, 
Sorry, suckers, you know, you didn't get to walk with Jesus like me and my 12 homies did. And we got like this amazing, um, you know, systematic theology course for three years. It was like seminary on, seminary on steroids. It was unbelievable how much we learned. They definitely learned, but do you catch the language here? It, he, they learned in the context of that the God of the universe came to be with them. And you see it in the language, a very tactile language, observed, touched, heard, seen. They walked with Jesus. Was the, the, just the mind-blowing aspect of this new faith system. That God was not just someone to learn about, he was someone to meet in the flesh, in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that's what John is saying. And now, the fellowship that we had with this Lord, we get to share with you as well. You get to share in this fellowship. Simply, Jesus himself modeled it. We were designed for relationship. Uh, relationships in some way, they will help us to grow into the full humanity that we were intended to be in God's original uh, unfailing design. Um, and in one sense, obviously, it means a relationship with God. You know, we don't want to diminish that. But guys, what I would also say, it's also about relationship with other people. It's about a relationship with others. And, and the more that you walk this path, the more that you'll discover that you can't separate the two. That there's actually not a choice between a relation with God and then a relation with others. If you're going to do one, you're going to do the other. Like they have to go together. It's growing to understand that knowing the Lord requires growing with other people. It requires growing with other people. And some of you are going to be challenged on that because you already, you can tell where this sermon's going. You're like, yo, this whole Christian deal, it'll be so simple if we didn't have all the people. Yo, if we didn't have to deal with the messiness of like walking with fail, uh, broken, deceitful, slovenly, man, it would just be so easy. I'm not even just talking about church. I'm just talking about the larger church. People stink. If it were just God and me, man, it would be epic. It would be beautiful. There's, there's a challenge. God hasn't designed us that way. Us to walk in relationship with one another. It's what the author of Hebrews writes about in, in Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 24 starts, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all more as you see the day approaching. And this letter it was written to a community of Hebrew Christians who had an initial just fire for Jesus. They met him, they loved him, they were walking with him, but they were in danger of having their faith slowly eroding. Maybe some of you can identify with that, right? Some of this, it was realistically due to great persecution that they experienced. They experienced hardship because of their faith, and, and many were considering a return to the Old Testament priestly system of sacrifices. And that's why Hebrews, it's, it's a great book. If you read it, it talks so much about the priestly system because he's trying to convince and show Jesus is the great high priest. So don't go back to the old way. Jesus has made it new again. Um, but their struggle, it was real. And it was to the point that some of the Hebrew Christians, they had stopped gathering together. You know, as their faith eroded, and I'm not sure which one was the correlate, I'm sure there was a 
they worked together, but there was a correlation between their faith eroding and stopping gathering together. And so when, when you and I, when we read about this exhortation to, to not give up meeting together, let's be real, right? Churches, they often bust us out when attendance has started to get a little slack. People maybe enjoying a little too much vacation and I can also have a vacation from we better bust our Hebrews 10 and you better not give a meeting together. I guess we could do that and kind of make it a guilt thing, but I don't think, I think we're missing the point. This is about survival. This is actually addressing survival here that in the midst of great challenge, um, the testing of their faith, they especially needed one another if they had any hope of making it. This was not, hey, you'd be a real good Christian if you hang out with one another because that's what good Christians do. It's like, yo, if you stop meeting together, there's no way you're going to be able to make this. They needed one another. And I'm recognized, maybe even some of you here, sometimes Christians can get a little nervous when we say that we need anything other than Jesus. And we even got whole songs devoted to that, right? All we need is Jesus. Us and I'm not, I love those songs, right? Um, but I think sometimes what that reveals, and, and the intent is really good, right? And I get it. But sometimes it reveals a, a kind of an individualistic, maybe an information-centric posture towards the Christian faith, where God's design is that we were always, always created to live, grow, and thrive in the context of relationships, it was supposed to be kind of messy. It wasn't just supposed to be an intellectual ascent of some principles, though that's an important part of it, but it was always meant to be done in the context of relationships. Maybe we can say it that, that pressing into relationships, it's not a sign of weakness as maybe some of us think. Um, rather, maybe not walking with others, it could be evidence of spiritual immaturity. Because we're not doing what God has said to do, to be in relationship. That if we're not journeying with others, it's not some sign of inner strength, but it could actually stunt our growth into the vision of humanity that we were intended to be. So relationships are key. And I want to just uh, breeze through a couple of few examples from the scriptures that show us different uh, indications of this. Look first at Hebrews chapter 3, starting verse 12. And it says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So in verse 12, I'm not sure if it's talking about losing your salvation when it's talking about the implications here, but I do think it's speaking about a gradual process. And that's the significance of this word hardened here. It's something that's occurring over a period of time, probably not an overnight effect. So it'd be like for me, say if I go to my doctor and they're saying, yo, your arteries are really hardening a little bit too much. And I say, I knew it. It was that brunch I had at Denny's last Saturday with like the breakfast special with extra, uh, extra bacon on top of more bacon. That's the reason why my arteries hardened. I was like, son, no, no, no. It's like every bacon special you've had for the past 20 years. Like there's a gradual process of that hardening. It didn't happen overnight. And, and I think that's similar to how sin works in our lives. 
Because um, in my experience in, what, 20 plus years of pastoral ministry, I have not met too many people who are genuinely worshiping on a Sunday or like, God is everything. I love him. He's and then Monday morning, he's like, oh, I don't even believe in this. Like, it, that's been really, it happens, but it's really, really rare. Um, usually, it's like a progressive series of like frustrations, doubts, questions, um, disappointments that slowly leads to this hardening effect in the heart. And I want to make really clear here, hard wrestling with those difficult things, that's a part of the journey of faith. We're not saying you shouldn't wrestle with that. You shouldn't have questions. You shouldn't have doubts. I would suggest, actually, that's probably like the growth process. Some of you into exercise, that's like the burn. Like, that's some of the way that God is going to refine your faith through the hard situation. But what I am saying can be really hard and damaging is if you're going through that, if you're walking through that, but you're isolated and you're alone, that's when those things can possibly lead to that hardening of the heart. Where maybe we even hear, and y'all look pretty. I mean, you look pretty to me, even with your mask, right? And you look like Sunday school Christian, like you got everything together, but inside your heart, you're like, man, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. I don't know how much longer I can go like this. And when we talk about the, using language of relational growth, it's like that false self. And unfortunately, in churches, sometimes if we're not careful, we can perpetuate yeah, you better put on that false self because people don't want to see the real you because that's complicated and messy. No one wants to know you're struggling. Put on that false self. But what happens is a sin wears away, hardens our souls, our hearts. The way that we address it is by walking with others who know us. It's about relationship. Who recognize in you a need, whether you need to be encouraged or maybe you need to be lovingly challenged. And... Sin, sin is a liar. Sin is all about deception. Sin deceives us maybe into believing that we got our things together, even maybe when we don't, or maybe that we're good when maybe we're not, or God couldn't possibly love you with all the mess that you're walking in right now. Everything that you've created for yourself, there's no one to blame but you. This is you. God couldn't love a scrub like you. And guys, that is a lie. That is a lie for those who are in Christ. And why God gives you real people is you need real people of discernment and wisdom to help you identify truth in the midst of the confusion of life. You need people when you are struggling, whether you're thinking a little too much of yourself or you dogging yourself, you need people who know the Lord, who are able to peer through that confusion and say, no, 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 no. Here's you need to lift your head up. Oh, here, let's, let's pray in repentance together. Whatever you need, but this is why you need relationship. You need others. Relationships help us to combat this overwhelming distance of sin that can lead to that hardening process of our souls. Another thing we see about relationship, look at James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And I want to be mindful here, just in case there's confusion, one of the beautiful effects of Jesus' work on the cross is you don't want any person of flesh and blood to tell you that you are forgiven of your sins. 
You do not need to go to a special religious building. You don't need someone to tell you you are now cleansed. You are now forgiven. One of the wonderful, amazing effects of Jesus' death, go read it on your own. It's epic, right? When he died, it says the veil of the temple curtain was torn. And it was symbolizing you do not need a priest any longer for you to have access to God. Jesus is the great high priest. He has made a way. So that's all true. God is the only one who has the authority to forgive. But here's what I would also add in there, as we see here in James 5.16. There is power in being able to trust another person with the darker parts of your soul in confession. There's just a power there. When it says in the passage, confess sins and pray for another that you may be healed, I believe one aspect of this healing is the removal of this great burden of shame and guilt that so many of us carry from unexcavated things within our life. And we've been carrying in our shoulders. And we've even confessed it to God. We genuinely believe God knows. But have you ever wondered, man, I have confessed to God every stinking day of my life, but I still feel the burden of the sin. Perhaps we don't really believe that we could let another person know and receive then the truth God. I remember once I worked with uh, pastors and people starting churches in the city. And I remember one time I was co- coaching this one church planter, and I got a text message from him. Yo, it was one of those like long thread text messages, like 10 in a row where you think you got spammed by someone, right? Basically, this guy was having a fight with his wife on, on text message. And I guess her name was kind of similar to mine because I got the whole thing. I'm like, oh, uh, wrong recipient. <laughs> And he was, (laughs) dude, imagine that, right? And he wrote back, he called back, actually, and said, dude, I'm so embarrassed. Obviously, that was not for you. But here's the thing. It led to an opening, because that stuff was there. It's not like because he suddenly shared it, even inadvertently, that it somehow became more real. It was always real, but it had held a certain weight and authority over his life. But when he had someone else know and we're able to talk through it, he even shared with me. I mean, it hasn't taken away all the problems, but yo, there's a freedom in not having to know I'm the only one who knows this. Like someone else knows and you don't hate me right now. I mean, there's power there that you love me and you want to walk with me in these things. And there is a certain power of God that we experience as much as God forgives us and we fully affirm that, that we can receive the full assurance of God's pardon on us when we hear through other image bearers, other relationships. I know your stuff, but there's hope. I love you. You don't have to hide anymore. The thing is, it requires a certain depth of relationship to foster this kind of trust to be able to share some of those things. God be real. I'm pretty transparent. I mean, you can ask some people, they think a little bit too much, right? But I'm, I'm pretty transparent. But yo, there's some things I am not sharing here on a Sunday because this is being recorded. And my mama might hear it. I mean, I know she's watching it right now. There are some things I'm not going to fully share, but there are some people who know those things, even in our church. 
So I'm not saying you got to do that with everyone, but you need someone who knows some of the darker areas of your life because walking alone in that, it's not just a shameful thing. It's not healthy for your soul. It will create a distance from you and the Lord. We need those people who let us know. And when I think about these people, I'm going to start crying. So I got I to hold myself. Those people who look at us and, and they hear your stuff and you're like, you're not too much for me. You're not too much for me. You're not going to shock me. Here's the challenging part, though. You really can't know who those, who those people are until you take steps to practice it. That's where it gets real tricky. Because maybe some of you are even here today, right? And you scanning the room, you're like, I am going to put these principles into action. I'm going to be a more mature Jesus follower. So you're looking around the room, who looks like they can trust my stuff? Ooh, she got a real good face. Oh, he looked, compa- oh, he sings worship even behind a mask, like a real compassionate way. Oh, she looked a little jelly, but maybe we can work on her. You know, you can't tell. You can't tell. The only way you really get to live this out is by taking steps and starting to disclose and starting to share and let them affirm to you, I'm one of those people that you're not, your stuff's not too much for me. You're not too much for me. And I don't want to get into too much of this today. Maybe this is one of the other being human series, but I think some of us, our biggest challenge is we can't trust people because you have had your trust broken before, maybe particularly in church. You've actually done this. You had some other crazy preachers like, you need to disclose your stuff to others because that's the path to healing. And you're like, amen, and you've done it, and you've had it blow back in your face. Gossip, judgment, holding back, you know, and you're like, eh, I ain't doing that again. That's for suckers. I ain't doing that again. But maybe part of how God wants to help you be more human is healing those broken layers of trust. Because it might feel protective for yourself, but I would suggest it's actually the hardening of your heart that can happen. And God doesn't want you to have a hard heart. He wants you to be able to experience the wholeness of being in relationship with him, but also with one another. And part of that comes with taking small steps to trust, even as scary as that feels to you. Look at, look at another passage in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And this is describing the apostle Paul when his name was still Saul. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So a lot of you, if you've been in church for even a minute, you heard of Paul. Yo, your Bible would be a lot less heavy for Paul, right? Because he wrote a lot of the New Testament, epic missionary, went to the cities proclaiming Jesus. But here in chapter 9, we see an instrumental point that his life could have taken one turn or another. Because Saul was like, yo, my life is I met Jesus. Hey, guys, I'm all full of you, brother. And they're like, Yo, isn't this the fool that was trying to, like, kill us all? 
like a minute ago? Isn't this the punk that put my uncle in jail? Seriously? Y'all trying to pull some of that sleeper cell stuff here, right? Trying to infiltrate our group. Nah, 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 we ain't having none of that. They're being wise. They're being utterly wise. But this is where Barnabas is like a rock star. And Barnabas don't get the publicity that Paul does. But yo, that's why he called son of encouragement. Because he stood up for our boy Saul and said, no, 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 this is real. I've seen what's happened. I know you have no earthly reason to trust that this is genuine, but we believe that. Let's give him a chance. And look what happened to history. Look what happened to history. The other followers equipped them and enabled them to go out. And man, this is so important of why relationships are critical because so many of us, even in the church, and I hate that it happens, but it happens, so many of us walk with imposter syndrome. We feel like we're living a double life. We, some of you are even leaders, and you're like, there's no way I could live. If people only knew what I've struggled with in the past, what I used to be, but even now, yo, I feel like I'm running a big con here. And some of us wrestle constantly with that. And that's a great burden to bear. But being known in relationships helps to pull that curtain back for people to see and know the real you and for you to have the freedom to know my life is changed. It doesn't mean I don't struggle. It doesn't mean I don't wrestle with some of the demons, but my life is changed because sometimes you can believe that. But man, there's power when someone that you trust and you love looks at you and say, I believe God's doing something in your life. I believe God's doing something there. I am with you. I believe in you. I trust you. Praise the Lord. Because if we truly know the God of grace, you know, this is a tough time to live right now in culture because you will get canceled over anything. And you know, there's, there's some warrant. We got to wrestle with some of that. But in the Christian church, there's also got to be an extraordinary grace along with a supernatural judgment. There's got to be an extraordinary grace that says, yeah, you know what? I might have some issues with you. Some of your stuff is real glaring. But if I know that God sees, knows, and accepts you, how can I withhold love and acceptance for you? Let's work on this together. Because in doing that, man, and I know this is the truth in our church and those in our neighborhood, actually probably more of those who are not sitting in here right now today, but those who are out doing God knows what, that you wouldn't even think belong in a church. There are some hidden gems out there. There are some Saul's. There are some people who will do epic things for the Lord, maybe more than any of us in this room would, but we need more people who in relationship tell people, I recognize that God will probably do something crazy in your life that I can't even see right now. We have no evidence of it, but I believe that that's how God works. And relationships, they can help us to identify the hidden gems among us that have yet to be fully excavated and mined, but it takes relationship. One more passage, and I want to invite Tay to come up here and help me with this. And we are both fully vaccinated, so don't you all get nervous and think we're being reckless with uh, precautions. Brandon Scott, I love you. We're being, we're being good. I'm going to ask Tay, and Tay looks strong, so he shouldn't have a problem. But imagine this is like a real heavy weight that he got above his head there, and that's his burden. 
And Galatians 6, 2 says, I guess I could go like 20 minutes, like see how long your, your arms start to do that shaking thing. I should have had you do push-ups, but. But Galatians 6, 2 says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Again, we're both vaccinated, so don't send hate mail. But the re- if he got like a real heavy burden above his, above his head, his life burden, imagine whatever that might be. The way that I help him is not like, come on, Tay, you can do it. Or, come on, Tay, build up those muscles, keep going. I mean, that's part of it. But if I want to really help him carry his burdens as talking, I need to get like in there close. Get under that, John, like it's my own burden. Almost like I'm in his shoes. I'm trying not to look at his face. If this pre-pandemic world, I'm looking right at his face. Like you need to know what they had for breakfast that morning. That kind of close. You are in there saying you will not carry this by yourself. I'm carrying this with you just as much as you feel the weight on your shoulders. It's on mine. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Let's give him anything. That was that was. To carry someone else's burdens mean you got to get real close to them. It's not just a pep talk from afar. And, and notice, it's not just carry others' burdens, it's carry one another's burdens. There's very much a two-way street here. It's describing relationships where, yeah, you don't let others carry loads alone. I would say it's actually sinful to know someone is carrying stuff in a church and you just kind of watch them afar. That is disobeying what God is saying. But it's not just that. It's also you don't try to carry your own load alone. That's also sinful. To us, in a kind of self-sufficient American mindset, that doesn't sound as bad, but that's also going against what God says. You also need to let other people know you. It's, it's confessing of our pride that says, yeah, I don't need anyone to help me. I'm good. Oh, I'm good to help others. I don't need that myself. It's recognizing that you can help others minister by letting them know of your load. What's one of the biggest things we need in our church? We need to give people opportunities to love one another. We need to give people opportunities for them to be generous, to share, to reach out. But we can't do that if we don't know what's going on with one another. So this is a two-way street. If we're going to be in relationship, we need to be looking for who we can help carry loads. But we also need to let people know our loads. But you don't get that close unless you trust one another. I'm not letting someone smell my breakfast unless there's a depth of relationship. And maybe a common theme among all these different things is the need to be known. And all that we've described, you know, battling sin, confession, recognizing others' hidden potential, sharing our burdens, it assumes that there's a level of depth in being known and knowing others that can, has to go beyond some of the superficiality that is too common for some of us when we think about church. It requires relationship. And even as we talk about relationship, there's something really appealing to being quote-unquote real when we think about relationship. None of us want fake relationships. We all want real relationships. Even in our church, we talk about organic relationships, right? And it's acknowledging we can't construct relationships. You, I can't like look at two of you. I'm not like matchmaker, like friend maker. Say, you two look like you would be really great friends. Okay, go do it. I mean, we, can't, we, we can't do that. Um, We want it to happen naturally. And so many of us want these relationships, but we also want it to feel organic, real, not forced. And somehow, if it doesn't happen like that, it must not be as genuine. But 
As much as we affirm that relationships can't be manufactured, I would also put out there, they require a certain kind of intentionality, especially in a church. I would suggest, especially in a cross-cultural church like we're hoping to be. Um, Because we can have this Hollywood mentality that relationships happen organic and naturally, and we just float into this place, and we're just drawn to those like, you're my Christian soulmate I've been looking for my whole life. Let's share accountability with one another. Don't use that as a pickup line. That's bad. That's bad. But love takes work. Love takes work. And I think just on a quick side note about cross-cultural, and we're going to dig much into this uh, in the but one of my things is I work with churches that are trying to be uh, more churches of reconciliation. One of the things is happening beyond this idea of relationships being organic, because the reality is when you see really organic relationships, which sounds great, oftentimes they're very homogenous in nature, because organically you'll be drawn to those who already have a lot of things in affinity together. And sometimes to cross bridges, to love others who might have different things in your background, it requires it to not always feel so natural, to not always feel like you get one another, the things you laugh about, the things you eat, but to say, hey, yeah, there's some differences here, but we're going to put the time and the effort into that. So at our church, one thing, and we talked about it here, structured, it doesn't have to mean less real. And some of us, we need to fight through that, right? Because we feel structured means it's not as real. Structure can give for real to happen. And for our church, one of the ways is groups. So I'll be real but honest here. And I I hope, hopefully I'm always but honest, but here's a but honest. You are never going to hear, hey, in your relational lack, if you go to a community group, your relational Christian dreams will be answered in two weeks. Just commit to it. Just go and you will find all your relational communal needs answered? Probably not. Probably not. I don't want to set you up for unrealistic expectations, but what it can do is put you into a place where you can meet some more people, especially if you're newer. It's going to be really hard to just reach out to someone randomly, but groups are a way, one of the ways in our church we will provide some structure so that you can possibly build some more real relationships. So when we look at this, God, he helps us become more human through relationships. And that shouldn't surprise us because relationships are the means by which God saves us. We are a culture, we love self-help. Some of y'all Enneagram freaks like me, you love self-help kind of things, discovering yourself. And, And ideas can be helpful, but God didn't save us through ideas. He rescues us through a relationship. And the good news of Jesus, it's not just a set of systematic theologies to affirm in belief. The good news of Jesus is the relational presence of the triune God, showing us a glimpse of life as it was meant to be lived through relationship with the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came into our world to dwell with us. And that's the way Jesus takes away our sin. Jesus doesn't look at us from afar and throw us like a rope with some good systematic theologies and say, yo, just get this down and you will be saved. He doesn't toss us a book and say, just read this. It's got seven really helpful principles so you can be saved. What does he do? He enters our world. He gets into our stuff. He gets, and it's messy because it's relational. He gets into all our stuff and he dwells with us to the point of taking a sin upon this torture device called a cross. It's all relational. He gets into the pit of life with us. 
And that's why our relationships with one another are so critical. Hear this part really clearly, guys. The real presence of God is experienced through the embodied presence of the one who walks with Jesus. Let me say that one again. The real presence of God is experienced through the embodied presence of the one who walks with Jesus. Another way to say that is you share Jesus with others when you share your life with them. Other people will experience Jesus when they experience the relationship with you who walk with Jesus. So here's my practical challenge for us here today, guys. Um, about sermons like this, the application is like, now, here's why you need relationship. And, I, and that's still true. Here's why you can benefit from relationship. So join one of our groups. Come play kickball. There will be popsicles. It'll be epic, right? And, and that's true. That's true. If you need it, if you've been convicted and you're realizing, yeah, I'm, I'm lacking that, I hope that you'll take those steps. But what I want to say along with that is not just how you can receive these relationships, but how will you help cultivate that for others? Especially if you consider yourself a partner member of the village, not just how you can receive relationship, how are you going to be part of other people also experiencing relationship in the ways we've described here? So when we think about ministry, I don't know what you all think about this thing about up here preaching. I guess it gets the most pub in a lot of churches, like this is the significant thing. And I'm not, I'm not about diminishing the preaching role. I think it's really important. Um, but I think we're a little bit overabundance in the relative importance of the preaching. I know I'm going to get flamed by some people for saying that, right? Some really theological, precise people telling me I'm a liberal heretic. I think in our tribe, we just put a little bit too much weight in this like half hour or some of you are like, you went way over half hour. This time here. And it's not that it's important. And honestly, if some of you feel like you would like to be trained to preach, talk to me. I would love to work with you. I would love to meet you. But here's the thing. Not everyone in a church may be called to preach, but your shared life might be one of the most powerful sermons someone can receive. You may never preach from behind a pulpit, but you sharing your life may be one of the most powerful ways someone experiences the truth of Jesus. You know how I know? I guess I could find like Lifeway research or something, but it's just anecdotal. Because I ask a lot of people, why are you at this church? Uh, some of them say, yo, preaching, woo, Billy Graham incarnate, right? Um, usually what it is is I met someone who showed me love like I never knew before. I experienced someone who helped me to say I can be true with myself that I never thought you could be in a religious church. I met someone who they encountered my darkest stuff and they didn't shun me like everyone else in my life has, but they said, welcome home. Because that's all of us. That's all of us. The relationship that you share might be one of the most powerful ways someone will experience the truth and the reality of the embodied Messiah in our world. And that's what we're going to do as we remember through the practice of communion. And we reinstituted this last Sunday. And what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you in a moment to come up. And we're remembering the last supper Jesus shared with his followers. But he wasn't just sharing a meal, even though he was, he was sharing his life. And one sense, I would encourage you, as you come to take the Lord's 
church prayer. Don't just think about it as a religious practice. Think about it as Jesus sharing himself with you so that you can share with someone else. So the way we're going to do this, we're going to take this all together once we go back to our seats, but we're going to receive the elements by coming down to two middle aisles, just get in lines, pick one up, and then go back around the back outside aisles, back to your seat. And once everyone is down through the music time, we'll make it really clear, I'll lead us through taking the elements together. So can you stand with me right now? And let me pray for us as we prepare to continue to commune with the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God of relationship. Relationship is not antithetical to who you are or even just a side part, but it's essential, Lord. You desire relationship with us and you desire us to have relationship with one another and others will come to know relationship with you even through us. That's crazy, Lord, but it's the way you do it. So I pray right now, prepare to sing, respond, receive the Lord's Supper, It would be more than just a religious practice, but it would be reaffirming relationship. So help us, Lord, to know you, that the veils can come down before you and before one another. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So I'm going to ask you, as the music is playing, as we're singing, just line up in the middle and just come, receive the elements, and go back around, and then hold on to them until the end as we take communion together.